I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Scriptures uh, this morning as we uh, turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at uh, verses 30 through 44 this morning, Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. Let's turn there then. Let's hear from God's Word as He speaks to us. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. This is God's Word. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the living God abides forever. Please pray with me. Our Father, it is now to the word of the living God that we turn and have turned and have heard, and now we pray, Spirit of the living God, that you would fall fresh upon us, that we might see wonderful things here, that we might see more and more the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, that we might be drawn to Him and delight in Him and all that He is for us and all that He provides. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of all the many miracles recorded in the Gospels, only two are recorded in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One is the resurrection, and the other is the one before us, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And while this in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean, therefore, that it's more important than the other miracles, I do think it says something significant As Jesus is revealing Himself in the Gospels, as He's preparing Himself to go to the ultimate place of sacrifice, the cross, as He's showing who He is and what He came to do, there's something significant going on here as He performs this miracle in front of all of these people. Now, this is a familiar story to many of us. 
Perhaps you've heard it a hundred times. You've heard many sermons preached on it. You've read through it several times in your life. Or maybe you're a visitor this morning and you've never heard this story before. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But whatever person you find yourself to be this morning, I want you to be asking uh, some questions. What does this miracle say about Jesus? And what does this encounter, this event say about you and me? And what is it about Jesus revealed here in the feeding of the 5,000 that would make us want to worship Him and follow Him and trust Him and even die for Him? What is it about Christ as He reveals Himself here in this profound and beautiful miracle? Well, there are three things that I want to uh, use as sort of a a structure as we move along. First of all, the setting, Uh, secondly, the problem, and then finally, the miracle itself. And I want to draw out some some application uh, throughout. So first of all, the setting, the setting. What's the backdrop? What's the context? What's going on here in Mark's gospel? Well, this entire story, this entire miracle uh, is in the context of uh, the disciples returning from a missionary trip. Earlier in chapter 6, this is what we find. Uh, For example, chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and He gave them authority. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits, and we're told that they went out and they preached repentance, and they cast out demons, and they healed the sick. And here in our passage, they return and they tell Jesus, their teacher, uh, all that had happened on that great missionary endeavor. So, young people, it would be like going out uh, on a missions trip, being sent by Harvest Church, and and having a, a profound experience, and then coming back to your home church and being able to give a report of all that the Lord did in you and through you in that week away, to the church who uh, sent you, and the church that prayed for you, and the church that uh, provided for you. And that's what's going on here. These disciples come back to Jesus, and no doubt they're excited, they're exhilarated, uh, but I'm guessing they're also exhausted. And that's often what ministry is and relationships are. It's both exciting on the one hand, exhilarating to be in the front lines of seeing the work of God the transformation of the gospel taking root in people's lives, but that also means that it is exhausting. It is exhausting. Hello. Wow, this is great. Hey, we're back. We're back. It's exhausting to minister. It can be wearisome, whether it's in the church or whether it's in the home or whether it's on the mission field. Or whether it's in your own vocation as you seek to serve the Lord faithfully. Notice with me, therefore, how Jesus handles their need. Verse 31, he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So it was, it was a busy time. It was an exciting time. But notice, this was Jesus' idea. You guys need to take a break. Rest revitalizes us. 
But it also reminds us of our limitations, doesn't it? It's been said that perhaps the godliest thing you and I can do at times is to get a good night's rest. It reminds us of our frailty. It reminds us that we are of the dust. And for these disciples who may have been tempted, if they're anything like me, to think, man, the the success we experienced on this mission trip must have had something to do with me, it's a reminder that, no, they need to rest And they need to remember that God is the one who empowered them. Christ is the one who gave them the authority. So that while we sleep at night, the God who never slumbers nor sleeps is is running the world. And that's a good reminder of our own limitations. Finally, then they get away by themselves for a little R&R. Verse 33 Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. What would you have done if you were a tired, weary disciple? I know for those who are more introverted, this would have been our biggest nightmare. Tired, exhausted, finally we get a vacation, finally we get a day off only to see all these people, this mass crowd running ahead and and there before we even arrive, before we get there. That's how some of you feel today maybe as moms at home, you're constantly needed and sometimes it feels like you can never get a break, never get a rest and there they are again needing your attention. It's exhausting. But notice the response of Jesus himself. Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw the crowd, and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them, this feeling of deep sympathy, even sorrow for another person who is hurting and a strong desire to help that person and relieve that person's suffering. Over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus Christ being filled with compassion. For example, you might remember the, the encounter in Luke's account, chapter 5, with the leper. And the leper comes to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then uh, Jesus breaks all of the, the, the rules, so to speak, and he, he touches him. And he wasn't supposed to do that, was he? Because when you touch something that's unclean, which is what was the case for the leper, you became unclean, was the thinking. But Jesus touched the man. What a beautiful picture of the compassion of the Lord Jesus. Not only is he able to do all things, and then he does perform a miracle there and restores the man and heals the man, but he is willing. He's willing to enter into our lives. He's willing to touch that which is dirty. And because he's Almighty God, he's not dirty himself, but he's compassionate So often when we think of compassion, we think of helping people with their physical needs, and certainly it includes this, doesn't it? The diaconal ministry is a call to mercy. And yet it's interesting here in this place, 
the connection that is made between the compassion of Jesus and then what He does in response. He's compassionate because they were like sheep without a shepherd, it says, and then it says, and He began to teach them many things. It's interesting. He began to teach them many things. In other words, teaching the gospel, teaching the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, as no doubt He did here, is mercy, and it is compassion. So he sees the crowd. He sees they're like sheep without a shepherd. No doubt his mind, I'm sure, went to Ezekiel, chapter 34, where all the shepherds of Israel were neglecting their sheep and were indicted by God Himself, but God said, I myself will shepherd my people. And here is the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd of the sheep, and He's ministering to the great crowd out of, out of compassion. A couple of takeaways here in this first heading as we see the compassion of Jesus first. He certainly gives us a paradigm for our own ministries, doesn't He? He gives us a paradigm for how to conduct ourselves in the home, how to conduct ourselves in the church, and how to conduct ourselves in the world. Our default setting, which is not often the case in my life, is to be compassionate, both in terms of ministering to people who are suffering physically or emotionally and reaching out to those who are on the fringes of life, those who are uh, hurting, but also showing compassion in teaching our children about the faith, also showing compassion in teaching uh, the, the gospel to those that we come in contact with. It is a reminder that like Jesus Christ, and you think about this, He was tired he was weary. According to his humanity, he needed to take a break or two. He needed to rest. We see earlier in chapter 4 in the boat, um, he's taken a nap. He's tired. But when he sees an opportunity to teach the gospel, he does. That's a paradigm for us. Ministry can be hard. It can be exhausting, even in the highs, even in the joys. But we need to remember that when God opens opportunities for us, by His grace, we need to sometimes do what's not comfortable doing and show compassion to those who need our love and our support and even the gospel itself. But perhaps even more importantly than this, it's also a reminder, isn't it, that in our times of fatigue, in our weariness, we can always go to Jesus Christ the one who never slumbers, the one who is at the right hand of God making intercession for us. We can always go to Him, and we need to go to Him, always. As helpful and important as vacations are, ultimate rest is not found in going south or going to the mountains, though it certainly doesn't help, or it doesn't hurt, excuse me, it certainly helps. But have you ever noticed when you come back from a vacation that sometimes you're just, you're tired? True rest is found in the one who gives rest and leaning in upon Jesus Christ, being refreshed by His Word and coming to His house to feast time and time again upon Him. That is the setting. 
These disciples come back from their uh, missionary trip and they report to Jesus. And instead of getting the rest that they desire, there's this crowd, but Jesus sees them and has compassion on them. Well, that leads us then secondly to the problem, to the problem. We might summarize this by simply saying this was a logistical nightmare. This was a logistical nightmare. Look with me at verses 35 and 36. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. There's a big problem on our hands. We can't uh, call up Chick-fil-A and cater in here. It's not possible. Obviously, these, uh, these brothers were agitated, they were irritated, and uh, they were uncompassionate. In fact, in, in the Greek, the verb send them, send them away is a strong command. It's in the, what's called the imperative mood. Uh, it's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. They are commanding Jesus, get them out of here, <laughs> send them away. So often our lives and our ministries and our homes would be so much easier if the difficult people who inconvenienced us and drained our energies just maybe left us alone. This is sometimes how we think. Do you remember the story of when the parents of these young children took them to Jesus Christ? It's recorded in Luke chapter 18. Now, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, what do you think they did? Hey, this is great. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. They rebuked the parents. Thinking probably, this is Jesus. He's building a kingdom here. And these parents want to take their kids to him. But Jesus called them to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And sometimes we think to ourselves, we know what's best as leaders in the church or parents in the home. And and sometimes our priorities are all out of whack and we end up getting in the way of people seeing the Lord Jesus. Or you might remember also in the same chapter of Luke, the blind man named Bartimaeus. He's sitting at the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by. He inquired what this meant and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And so he cried out, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Would you knock it off? Would you quit embarrassing us? Jesus stops and commands him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Sometimes in ministry, sometimes in our homes, sometimes in the Christian life, we, we just want a break. And we want Jesus to take care of these people and take care of our problems. 
And when there's new people at the door of the church, we just want the hospitality committee to sort of swoop in and take care of their needs. And we don't really want to be the ones to invite them or introduce ourselves to them. Or we see somebody who's suffering, somebody who's poor, somebody who's homeless, and, and, and we conclude in our, 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 our minds and our thinking, well, they're getting what they deserve, and aren't there shelters for those kinds of things? The contrast here between the heart of Jesus and the heart of these disciples is profound, and it reveals my heart. How does Jesus respond? It's not as easy uh, to see here as I think it is in, in the Greek in verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And when I read the text, I emphasized you because the you there is first. It's emphatic. You give them something to eat. Jesus, can you take care of this? Can you send them away? We've got a logistical problem on our hands, right? We're, t- we're trying to run things, a tight ship here. And Jesus says, you do it. I mean, are you kidding me? What are we going to do? There's 5,000 men. There may be 20,000 people gathered around. They said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? That's between a half a year and a year's wage. I mean, that's that's a ton of money. What do you want us to do, Jesus? What did Jesus want from them? That's an interesting question. What did he want them to do? Jesus, we can't, but you can through us. They just were sent out by Jesus to cast out demons. They just were sent out by Jesus to heal the sick. One commentator says, by now they should have learned to expect the unexpected and to ask for his help whenever things were humanly impossible. A couple of things notably absent here. One is compassion for them. The second is prayer. Nowhere do we find the disciples here crying out to God for help, for power, for wisdom, Had they already forgotten, how quickly do we forget that to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory. And my prayer life often exposes my own self-dependent spirit, thinking either I can handle this on my own or, like the disciples, I can't, I, I, I don't even pray. What's the point? Instead of coming to the Lord Jesus on our knees and saying, this is above me, this is more than I can do, would you work in me and would you work through me? Are there people in your life currently, as you sit here this morning, who you are sort of shooing away, wishing that Jesus would just sort of uh, take to some place else? Instead of showing them compassion and love and teaching them, maybe, ironically, it might be your own children 
Instead of shepherding them, instead of leading them to Jesus Christ and His Word, you're just giving them distractions along the way, and Jesus is calling you, no, you've been called to shepherd and parent them. Maybe it's a neighbor who does not know the Lord, and he's annoying and offensive, and you just want him to disappear. And maybe Jesus is calling you this morning, no, I need to reach out. I need to show compassion. I need to ask God for help. I can't love this person. This person is a difficult person to love. Would you work in me and through me? Would you remind me that I was the difficult person to love, and you loved me even while I was your enemy? All of us have people in our lives who at times and in various ways can be challenging to love, and yet we are called to go to Jesus and to ask for strength. The setting, the problem, all of these people and no food, which brings us then finally to the miracle itself in verse 38 and following. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, and I wonder if there was any cynicism in any of them, five and two fish. See, Jesus, we only have five and two fish, and there's a lot of people here. But then he works, then he commands all to sit down in groups on the green grass. They sit down by hundreds and fifties, and he takes the five loaves and the two fish, and he looks up to heaven and says a blessing where they did not pray. He did pray, and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divides the two fish among them all. And uh, verse 42 tells us, don't miss this, and they all ate and were satisfied. They were all satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. What an incredible miracle. What a profound work uh, of Jesus Christ here on that day. What do we learn from it? We must always beware of the temptation to let something that is familiar, which for many of this this is, uh, to then uh, not affect us, but this ought to affect us. And how ought it to affect us? What do we take away? What do we learn about ourselves? What do we learn about Jesus here? Uh, what is it about Him that would make us want to worship Him and, 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 and follow Him and trust Him? Well, first of all, Jesus is revealing to us, as He was revealing to them, that He is Himself God. Jesus is divine. Oh, there are scholars, there are liberal scholars who uh, do uh, jumping jacks and uh, all sorts of different hermeneutical things, interpretations of Scripture here, uh, and they say the real miracle is uh, the generosity of the people, um, which there's no evidence of that because we know that they didn't have food. They, they asked everybody, and they only had five loaves and two fish, but some suggest, no, it wasn't Jesus multiplying this. It was just people, once they saw one do it, then it led to the other do it. No one there that day would have concluded that Jesus was claiming just to, to teach generosity or that he was claiming uh, merely to be a prophet. No, Jesus was being in this sense, confrontational. He was saying, I am God in the flesh. 
C.S. Lewis said that either Jesus is a liar or a lunatic or he's Lord, and if he's Lord, that changes everything. If he's Lord, it changes everything because you and I owe him all that we are and all that we have. We are called to bow our knee before his lordship. And we know from Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, friends, call upon Jesus as Lord today while it's the day of salvation, the day of grace. Because you will recognize and acknowledge that he is Lord. But do it today. Bend your knee today. Don't make him Lord of your life. He is Lord Recognize it, submit to it, believe in him, honor him as the Lord of all things. But he's not only the Lord, he's not only God, he's also the good shepherd. He's a compassionate savior. Which leads us to the, the second takeaway. Jesus alone satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts, and Jesus deals with our deepest, most profound need. Miracles of physical signs point to spiritual realities, and every single one of us here this morning, regardless of our age, regardless of our background, have a deep and desperate need. On some level, we're all lonely and helpless, and we're certainly all sinful and spiritually hunger, and we'll remain restless until we come to know God in Jesus Christ. And every single person is confronted with a serious problem like that crowd that day. We lack the resources that we need. We're spiritually impoverished. God Himself God himself in the person of Jesus Christ makes provision for us. And he doesn't just care for our physical needs, though he takes care of us in all ways, but he comes to deal with the greatest need that we have, our sin. And he did this when he came for us, when he went to the cross, when the Lamb of God came and was broken, the bread of life, It was at the cross where he shows his most deep and profound compassion for sinners. His heart was moved. He willingly and voluntarily went to Calvary for his people, for his sheep. And the most amazing thing about the gospel, the most amazing thing about the The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of life, is that the bread that he offers to you is absolutely free to you, though costly to him. Remember the words in Isaiah 55, the beginning part, come, everyone who thirsts you thirst? Come to the waters, and he who has no money, he who has no money. Uh, in, in the van this morning, our five-year-old was getting her purse ready for church, and uh, she looked at me and she said, Daddy, does this church do money? 
Do they do money? Yeah. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? We've all done that before. In some ways, we are still doing that, trying to find bread in things that just aren't bread. And why your labor for that which does not satisfy like the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes. Listen diligently, God says to me, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Jesus is God. Jesus is the all-satisfying, all-sufficient Savior he is the good shepherd of his sheep. And he calls out to you and he says that his sheep will hear his voice. They will recognize it and they will follow the shepherd who leads them into green pastures and besides refreshing waters. And then I think one other take home this morning and I'll end with this is this. Jesus loves using us broken, helpless sinners to accomplish his grand purposes. Think about it with me. He could have sent manna as he had done in the old covenant. But what does he do instead? He chooses to divide the food and multiply the food and perform this miracle but then what does he do? He distributes it through these disciples. Someone has said, it is vain for us to attempt by ourselves to give real food to needy mankind with our five little loaves and two fish, the insignificant gifts and powers possessed by us. But when we place at his disposal in faith and obedience everything we have received from him, he will, in spite of our own insignificance and poverty, use us nevertheless to feed souls with the bread of eternal life, to feed souls, to feed our children with the gospel, to feed those in our church with the gospel, to feed those outside of the church, our neighbors and coworkers and family members who do not know the Lord with the gospel. He loves using us to accomplish His purposes. And you know what I love about this ending? The fact that there are 12 baskets left over that are just full of, of bread and fish. Twelve. How many disciples, children? Twelve. One basket for each disciple, as if to say to them, gentlemen, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made known in your weakness. And so Jesus invites us all to come to him, to come to him in faith, seeing that he is an all-satisfying, all-sufficient Savior, but also the one who provides above and beyond all that we ask or can even imagine. And so, Harvest, may we be a, a people who pray, 
of people who recognize their own helplessness and weakness and time and time again come to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and the provision that he makes for us. Lord, what a beautiful and profound picture here we see in the feeding of the 5,000 and how it points to how he deals with our sin and our most desperate need to be reconciled to you. Father, teach us that he is indeed Lord. Teach us that he is all-satisfying and teach us, Lord, Remind us that we need to come to him time and time again for rest and for the energy and grace we need in times of need that we might serve others well. So, Father, thank you for feeding our souls and having been fed. May we respond in in, in pouring ourselves and emptying ourselves to others. We thank you for Christ Jesus and all that he is, and we pray it in his name. Amen.